Scripture reading today is Ephesians 4, verses 4 through 7. There is one body and one spirit, just as you are called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is above all and through all and in all you. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. Good morning. Great to see uh, kind of a full house tonight. Lots of folks who are uh, excited about being here together to sing God's praises and share a moment with each other to step away from the world and to get into the word. Um, appreciate your, your being here. I appreciate your attention. Um, so what we've been doing, a bit of a context for this, this sermon is I'm continuing uh, a study to equip us with the ability to uh, have a Bible study with someone, ideally kind of a formal sit-down study, but also to answer some of the questions that we would have in conversations with, with co-workers or friends or anything like that to help us to be able to, to share the great gift that we've been given. And um, the, the going, just looking at what we've, we've done so far, will you check that one, Joe, to see if that's on? Uh, the first lesson that we did is on uh, the Bible is God's word, and it's our uh, standard for knowledge and for salvation. So that being the, that kind of lays the groundwork. Oh, it's off. I didn't even think to look at that. There we go. Um, it is our standard for knowledge and salvation. So you're getting common ground. Thank you. Uh, to be able to, to have a proper conversation that I'm not the source, you're not the source, the word is the source. We talked about the story of the Bible, and it's that man is separated from God by sin, but God gave his son that so, so that we can be united, um, and, and we can have that salvation from our sin. Uh, the third lesson was kind of answers to questions of what isn't good enough in order to be saved, and that is to be good, um, or to be religious, or, or just to believe in Christ. Lesson four, we talked about how to receive the gift and live out the gift of salvation. Uh, call those the steps of salvation. And last time we, we took a whole lesson to talk about one of those steps, which is, which is baptism. And understanding it better. Understanding that it is a burial with Christ to wash away sins and to begin a new life. And that, that key was to be baptized in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. Uh, and I think that we have... Uh, done good groundwork to, to be able to, to have these kind of conversation and, and for, for what is ahead. Again, the goal is, is not to, to be right in some sort of a way for us to be right, but for us to point to what is right, because what is right, the word of God, leads to salvation. And so it's, it's not a about winning anything, it's about winning their soul over for God. It's God's victory. So we want to think about the person that we're talking to a lot. And so that kind of leads me to, to this next uh, topic, the sermon today, which is again uh, about baptism. It's like, well, didn't we just talk about that? Yes, uh, but the goal of the study again is, is to be equipped, and, and the, the, my teacher in this told me that chances are very good. I mean, well, just looking at, at your situation, the chances are going to be good that you're going to be teaching someone who knows something about Jesus and has probably had some sort of interaction with, with a church. Uh, and so Things are complicated and things are personal. 
And, and so, like I said, my teacher gave me these questions that are very likely to come up. And understand that these things might be part of a person's kind of identity, and we're challenging that. And so we're kind of breaking some ground. So we, so we do want to kind of try to make things simple. And, and again, that was kind of the, the goal in all these, is to make them uncomplicated and straightforward. Um, I think they haven't always been, but that was the goal. Um, and so we're going to look at a couple of these questions. What about this? And it's not meant to be exhaustive on any of these subjects, uh, but it, it, in conjunction with these previous lessons, uh, it, they are at least one kind of firm scriptural response or explanation to these questions. Uh, again, we're, we're pushing for understanding and for, for the person's confidence in, in the salvation and how to get it. So uh, one thing that it was uh, a tip was given is when you begin a study is to ask a person and get to know them a little bit and ask them about what is their status in Christianity. And so, oh, I'm a Christian, you know. Um, I was... I was saved when I accepted Jesus in my heart at camp when I was 12, or whatever. Get their story a little bit, because that's going to inform your relationship with them. But it's also really, when you're getting to these parts of the, the element, is it's going to help you to actually be able to, um, uh, I guess, apply towards them, but also help them to, to know, to verbally establish what they believe. <laughs> Because once you study these things, they're like, oh yeah, that's right. But did it actually jive with their, their, their previous experience? So the first one we're going to look at is, is the idea of infant baptism. And that is something that still goes on quite a bit. Uh, Catholics use it. Orthodox, uh, the Greek Orthodox uses it. Lutheran, Episcopalian, Anglican, some Methodist, some Presbyterian, some Reformed Calvinists use it. So the, the response might be, I was baptized as a baby, so I am good to go. And we want, to, we want to talk about that because we want them to have what they need in order to receive the great gift. So we're going to go to John chapter 3, verse 16. And this is a great verse to go to um, in a number of ways, partly because it is something that is understood. It is something that is uh, popular, if you will. And that's not always the best reason. It's, it's, it, it's going to be uh, exactly what we need it to be. But this one, again, it's just something that people recognize. And again, I'm going to turn in my Bible with each of these because I think that's kind of how you would do it with someone as you're studying. And I'm, I'm going to be reading from an ESV this morning. But in John chapter uh, 3, not chapter 16, in John chapter 3, verse 16, it says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only Son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. For God did not send his Son into the world to condemn the world, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe is condemned already, because he has not believed in the name of the only Son of God. This idea of infant baptism, we have to ask two, two main questions, and one is brought up here. And when you look at, if you look up infant baptism, theolo theology likes to put names into everything. Um, they like to call it something besides you know, they, they like to use a single term to encapsulate a big idea. And infant baptism is called pedo-baptism, baptism of, of children, baptism of babies. And if you look it up, it's contrasted with something called believer's baptism. And this is what we're seeing here at John chapter 3, verse 16. It's either one or the other. And we can understand here, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. And so the question might be, well, you were baptized as a baby. I'm, I'm glad. Did you believe in Jesus Christ as the son of God at that time? Well, no. Um, 
you go and look at any of the conversions and belief is always a critical element in that. And then looking at, again, some of the last lesson that we looked at was understanding that baptism is burial, that it is washing away of sin, that it is the start of something new. Those are kind of the, the three elements. Can a child comprehend death? Do they have an old man to bury? Um, and, and resurrection from birth into a new person. Well, they were, they were just born. Uh, to be born again is, is a little bit, in fact, as I was studying it, some have baptism very early, some wait as long as 40 days. So you're still talking about absolutely the same thing. Um, another question that one would ask is, uh, in, in, is that child guilty of sin? And, you know, we, we looked at like, so, so, you know, Acts chapter 2, verse 38, Peter said to them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. That, that baptism was a response to an understanding of sin and that sin needing to be washed away. Well, we understand that, that children are not perfect. They are not born um, as, as, as perfect human beings. They are, we are all born into a fallen world. And, you know, the Proverbs teach us that, that foolishness is bound up in the heart of a child. And there's this concept of, of flesh and the spirit. And little kids do things that are not the best thing. Little kids lie. They act with selfishness and, and even malice and that sort of thing. But is that the same thing as sin? We're going to look at a couple of verses here in, in Numbers and Deuteronomy um, that kind of give us a picture, uh, again, sort of a, a briefer look at, at this concept because going into a full look into the age of accountability is kind of a, a greater study. But you can look at these two verses and show some perspective on, on how God looks at youth and the iniquity of sin. So in Numbers chapter 14, it's going to set the stage a little bit in verse 28 through 30, it says, Say to them, As I live, declares the Lord, what you have done in my hearing, I will do to you. Your dead bodies shall fall in this wilderness, and all of your number listed in the census from 20 years old and upward who have grumbled against me. Not one of them shall come into the land where I swore that I would make you dwell, except Caleb, the son of Jephunneh, and Joshua, the son of Nun. This was the story of the Israelites as they had come to receive the promised gift of God, that after he had saved them and redeemed them from slavery and they had made a covenant to be his chosen people and they had come to the, to the, to the land of promise and then he said, Let's, let us go in and their faith said, we don't trust you God in this endeavor. And so God's response to them was this, that all of you, because you did not Trust in me because you grumbled against me. All of you who are over 20 years old will not enter the land of promised rest. If you go to Deuteronomy chapter 1, this is Moses talking, and he's ex looking back to this moment. He's explaining this moment to them about how we got where we are. Because in Deuteronomy, this is his giving of the law before he perishes and they go in. So this is 40 years later, but he's describing this to them. Deuteronomy chapter 1, verse 39 through 37 says, Even with me, the God was angry on your account and said, You also shall not go in there. Joshua, the son of Nun, who stands before you, he shall enter. Encourage him, for he shall cause Israel to inherit. But as for your little ones, whom you said would become a prey, and your children, who today have no knowledge of good or evil, they shall go in there. 
and to them I will give it, and they shall possess it. So God is saying the people that were young at that time of not trusting, at that time of grumbling, the people who had no knowledge of good or evil, they will not bear the sins of what happened at that time. And so I would not point to 20 years old as where to draw the line. You, you need to wait until you're 20 to be saved. Uh, but the Lord drew a certain line that said, by that time, everybody knew. Everyone that age and up, they understood what was going on. And people below that age, at least some of them, did not know. They were not with, acting with understanding. They did, had no knowledge of good or evil. And so they were not going to have that guilt of sin. Uh, of, of what had been done in, in that group. And so again, that's not a line that we can apply to, to a, a strict line, but it's certainly a concept that we can understand, that they had no knowledge of good or evil. I'm also going to tie that into Matthew chapter 18, and this is uh, verses that are mirrored in, in, in Mark and Luke. And Jesus has an encounter where his disciples are arguing about who is going to be greatest in the kingdom, and, and in Mark, it happens two different times. Only one of them is tied to this conversation, but it's tied to, to who is the greatest in the kingdom. And Jesus says in Mark chapter, excuse me, Matthew chapter 18, verse 1 through 6, At that time the disciples came to Jesus, saying, Who is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven? And calling to him a child, he put him in the midst of them and said, Truly I say to you, unless you turn and become like this child, you will never enter the kingdom of heaven. Whoever humbles himself like this child is the greatest in the kingdom of heaven. Whoever receives one such child in my name receives me. But whoever causes one of these little ones believes in me to sin, who believes in me to sin, it would be better for him to have a great millstone attached around his neck and to be drowned in the depth of the sea. So there's a lesson here about humility, but there's, there's also a lesson here about the way that God looked at, this, at children. And he always, he, he said, let the little children come to me because they were pure and they were good. And I can just imagine him taking this child and putting him amongst them and saying, be like this child. Don't be like your being where you're arguing about being great. Be like this child who in humility is good. This is what you are supposed to be like. So there's th those two questions that answer a bit of infant baptism is, is can you be, be saved the way the Bible describes it, which is something that requires faith. And then also... Is, is, there, uh, is there sin that needs to be washed away? Does a child carry the guilt of sin? And the answer that, that we would point to is no. To give this question about what if about infant baptism a fair shake, because these two have a follow-up what if. <laughs> and there are two arguments for infant baptism, the household argument and, and a circumcision argument. So we're going to kind of answer those as well so that we're not... Uh, surprise. The household argument is looking to the book of Acts that a number of times when the gospel is being taught, it says that a person was baptized them and their whole household. Uh, it occurs in Acts chapter 11 with Cornelius, Acts chapter 16 with Lydia, uh, again in Acts chapter 16, the Philippian jailer, and in 1 Corinthians chapter 1, it talks about th that uh, Paul baptized the household of Stephanus. Um, it's okay. And so someone might say, oh, the whole house was baptized. So, of course, all the babies in the house are baptized. Um, 
it doesn't ever says that. It never states or implies or gives an example of a baby or even a child being baptized. We never see that. It's not necessarily implied in any way. And it's worth noting that households in the Old Testament were sometimes a much greater or larger thing than we might think of. A household would be multi-generational. Um, you know, three generations, maybe four, adult children. Um, it might even include servants, um, stewards, debtors. You know, it was a much greater term. Again, there, there's no specific indication, though, that children were ever baptized. But I did want to look at one in particular in Acts chapter 16 uh, that, that describes what happened when that household was baptized. Um, and this is the, the story of the Philippian jailer. And we're going to read in verse 31 and also verse 34. The Philippian jailer was one who learned from Paul and Silas after he had seen the miracles that were done. And he says, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? In verse 31, and they said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. So they go about the acts of doing that. They were baptized at once. He and all his family, it says in verse 33, and they go in the same hour of the night. Wonderful principles here. But in verse 34, it says, Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them. And he rejoiced, along with his entire household, that he had believed in God. So here it says that his whole household believed and rejoiced. So anybody that received salvation that day was capable of, of believing and rejoicing. There's also a, a circumcision argument, which is essentially points back to Genesis chapter 17, where baptism is a sign of God's covenant. And so that's why we have infant baptism. You know, in Genesis 17, God made this covenant with Abraham, and he said, Everyone who is eight days among you, he shall be circumcised, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and you. Well, one thing to understand, though, is that a covenant requires consent. And you say, well, those Israelites didn't have consent. Um, they, they were meant to give their consent later on in life. They gave their consent uh, before they came to, to Mount Sinai as a people. But let's also look and see that our covenant is actually quite a bit different than theirs. If you look in Jeremiah chapter 31, we're going to see that, that we have not just a different covenant, but a better covenant in many ways. And in Jeremiah chapter 31, verse 31 through 34, we read, Behold, the days are coming, declares the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the house of Israel and the house of Judah, not like the covenant I made with their fathers on the day that I took them by the hand to bring them out of the land of Egypt, my covenant that they broke, though I was their husband, declares the Lord. But this is the covenant that I will make with them, that I will make with the house of Israel after those days, declares the Lord. I will put my law within them. I will write it on their hearts. And I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And no longer shall each one teach his neighbor and each his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they shall all know me, from the least to the greatest, declares the Lord. For I will forgive their iniquity, and I will remember their sin no more. So, any benefit that was done uh, by circumcision was something that was for the Jewish people. It's something that, that is past. Any benefit that is to be uh, enjoyed by the new covenant is something that is laid out as something that is being individual, not national. And it is something that is not handed down. Uh, the salvation is not handed down. The teachings are handed down. And that is something that we all wish to do. We wish to, to lift our children up. We want to teach them all the things that they, they need to know. But 
we can't give them a, a step up or a hand up by baptizing them as a child. We give them that step up by, by teaching them about the word of God and, and helping them to know him from a very early age. There's also, if we want to look at one more verse about this, Colossians chapter 2, I think it's, it's worth noting because this is a verse that some might even try to use to describe how it does apply, but I think it really kind of refutes it. In Colossians chapter 2, verse 11 through 14, uh, it says, In him also you are circumcised with a circumcision made without hands by putting off the body of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ, having been buried with him in baptism, in which you were also raised with him through God in the powerful working of God who raised him from the dead. And you who were dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made alive together with him, having forgiven us of all of our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. The things that are described here, now we have a circumcision made without hands. So it's not a physical thing. Baptism has a physical element, but it is not just a physical thing, like circumcision was to an eight-year-old child. It is something that is mental, it is something that is spiritual, it is something that is physical. It describes putting off the old body of the flesh. In Romans, we have looked at in Romans chapter 6 and other places describe the death of the old man. Again, does the baby need to do that? Um, And then it also talks about being raised with him through faith. Can that child have saving faith? So if they have a what if about infant baptism, am I already saved? But what about these things? Then then hopefully we can answer them. Okay, that was the big one, but we do have a few others that we're going to look at here. And that is the idea of sprinkling. And um, there's really three sort of things to reply to that. Now, sprinkling baptism is not as common as infant baptism, but it does still happen, um, especially sometimes as an exception where somebody says that, that well, we, we practice, practice immersion baptism, but in this case, we'll use sprinkling because the person is, is uh, infirmed or, or whatever the case, the person is uh, uncomfortable, whatever it might be. The first thing to understand is that, that baptism is a untranslated word. It is a word that literally means immersion um, and so that's something to explain to somebody. That, that these words are translated, but this one isn't. Sort of like names or something like that, where it, the, the name carried over. But the actual word, if you said, if you read the Bible and you said, and you inserted immersion for baptism, you would not be wrong. Um, you wouldn't be uh, commenting, you wouldn't be adding to or taking away, you'd be kind of finishing a translation. Now, I would hesitate to do that because translators do know a great deal. And even in, so one time I found it in Mark chapter 7, verse 3 through 4, where they were trying to attack Jesus for um, not washing his hands before he ate. And, and the word baptizo is used. But the vast majority of the times, it's very clear that that baptism is a full immersion. And, and, and even in that time, would he not have immersed his hands the thing is that that is what the word means. That's one thing to understand. The other, looking to Acts chapter 8, they go down, well, I refer to Mark chapter 1 where Jesus Christ himself came up out of the water when he was baptized. But I like the story in Acts chapter 8 with the Ethiopian eunuch because they both went down to the water and then they came up out of the water. And they could have waded out into the water and, and then Philip 
got a handful of water and sprinkled it on the Ethiopian. And then they, he said, you're baptized in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And we're going to go back up and, and you're going to be on your way. It's, it's not impossible, right? Um, that that would happen. But the wording suggests that they went down into the water and, and the mode of baptism that was given. And I like this account in that description of in and out because the Ethiopian was traveling from Jerusalem to Ethiopia. I'm pretty sure that he had water with him. And that at any point in that teaching Jesus to him, he could have said, I have this cup of water. What doth hinder me from being baptized? And Philip said, well, nothing. Let's pour it on your head, and I will say the words, and you will admit your faith, and we will do the things, and then, and then we're done. But he saw a large body of water and said, now what doth hinder me from being baptized? I have everything that I need. And the last thing I would point to on this, that the, kind of the third answer, is looking at Romans chapter 6. And we've done this, but let's go again, because I just think that it's critical in our understanding of uh, salvation and baptism is understanding what's described here. In Romans chapter 6, verse 3 and 4, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ were baptized into his death? We were baptized, therefore, with him. We were buried, therefore, with him, excuse me, by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the Father by the glory of his Father, we too might walk in a newness of life. So, baptism is a burial. And we've kind of discussed that in detail, what that means to be put the old man to death and to be immersed, and to rise up, to walk in the newness of life, to, to kill the old man. Uh, but if you, at a graveside service that you've been to, does someone take a handful or a shovelful of dirt and throw it on the casket in the, in the ground and say, all right, job's done. It, that's silly. Uh, baptism means that something that is fully covered up. And that is what happens here, is uh, that baptism is symbolic and it is a physical representation of a full immersion, a full burial, and a full sharing of what Christ did for us. And so it's important to, to be able to understand that let's, let's fully partake of, of the gift that has been, been given to us. Uh, let's, let's fully immerse as, as we do that. Uh, the next one is, but what about the thief on the cross? My teacher said this is, this is question number one. You know, on, on Family Feud, this is the top answer. Ding, ding, ding. What about the thief on the cross? I, I gotcha, you know. Um, let's look at, at what happened with the thief on the cross. Because people like to say, the thief on the cross, he wasn't baptized, but he was saved. And use that to apply to their salvation. And there, I mean, the great thing about the thief's salvation, one, well, there's a lot of things, is he got to be saved and, and then go right where he, he needed to go. But otherwise, I don't want to trade with, with that thief. Uh, and I don't think you do either with, um, with how he got there. But let's look in Luke chapter 23, verse 39 through 43. We're going to read, and it says, And one of the criminals who were hanged railed at him, saying, Are you not the Christ? Save yourself and us. But the other rebuked him, saying, Do you not fear God, since you are under the same sentence of condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we are receiving the due reward for our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. 
And he said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And he said to him, truly I say to you, today you will be with me in paradise. And this is a beautiful story in a number of ways. A number of things that we can look at Christ's forbearance and his love and his forgiveness. And, and how late in life you can receive the gift. You know, there's, there's a good number of things here. But this isn't where we really want to get our understanding of how to be saved. First, we want to understand Matthew chapter one, 9 describes that, that Jesus had a power that, that we do not and that nobody in this room does. And that is the power to forgive sins. In, in Matthew chapter 9, it says, And getting into the boat, he crossed over and came to his own city. And behold, some people brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Take heart, my son, your sins are forgiven. This happens more than once. This happens in Luke 7. And sometimes he got challenged on it. Who are you to say that you can forgive sins? And he answered them in, in his way. Jesus had the ability to forgive sins. So that is part of our understanding of what baptism is. Again, Romans chapter 6 is this verse that helps us to understand baptism. And if baptism is the means by which our sins were washed away, well, it is to understand that Christ was on the cross and able to do that for him. But also... If someone to say, well, he wasn't baptized, well, how, what baptism would he have been baptized into? Christian baptism was not a thing at that point. In Romans chapter 6, the verses that we did read, but I will read verse 5 as well, talking about being buried with Christ, being resurrected with Christ. That is the power of baptism in verse 5. But if we have been united with him in death like this, we shall certainly be reunited with him in resurrection like this. How could that man have been baptized as we are instructed to be baptized? It was not a thing because Christ had not died yet. Christ had not been resurrected yet. Baptism had not been revealed yet as the means by which we share in that gift of what Christ had done. And so to compare his situation to ours would be kind of an apples and oranges thing. You understand that with baptism, the goal was washing away of sin. Well, you know, Jesus would have had the ability to do that to him. It was the uh, start of something new, which it, it does not precipitously uh, apply it to him. And to share in that burial of Christ, it, that hadn't happened yet. So it would not have even sort of been an option for him. I would say that the thief was not the only one on to, to join Christ in paradise that day either. Uh, that the, the Jews had a different plan that they were operating under, that many people may have died that day and, and been taken to paradise to receive the salvation that was separate and, and was offered for the Jews. The thief narrative teaches, again, a lot of things about forgiveness and, and grace and turning to him, but the way to receive our salvation is just not one of them. So what about the thief on the cross is that is not something that, that we can apply to us. The next one is something, again, as we're talking to someone, who, these are very personal things, and, and understanding uh, what someone's experience was, that we might be able to speak to it. 
And again, asking that question of someone, well, how, how are you saved? And someone might say, well, I was baptized into fill-in-the-blank church. And that was baptism. So I, I've been baptized, so I, I don't need baptism again. Well, we want to look and, and talk about what baptism was. I think we've done that. In 1 Corinthians chapter 12, Verse 12 and 13, it says, For just as the one body, just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we're all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we're all were made to drink of one spirit. Ephesians chapter 4 says some similar things, and we're gonna we're gonna read that one as well. Because we want to understand that there is only one baptism. There's lots of immersions, but there's only one baptism that we're describing here. It says there is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to the call. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. But grace was given to each of us according to the measure of Christ's gift. Being baptized into whatever church is not this baptism. And, and what I'm kind of describing is sometimes one might uh, join a church, and that church wishes to be baptized as sort of a membership thing. Or when someone says, well, I became a Christian when I accepted Jesus Christ into my heart. And that, again, goes to the beginning, asking that question of how they were saved. And then I was baptized as an act of obedience or an outward symbolic display, an outward sign of an inward grace is kind of the catchphrase that they, they like to use. All of these things are not this baptism because it is not being baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. So that's the question. Well, were you baptized in the name of Jesus Christ, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the forgiveness of your sins? Did you understand that you uh, were guilty of sin, that you needed forgiveness, and that this was the means of your salvation? And if the answer is no, then whatever baptism you did was fine, but it is not the baptism that you need. It is not the baptism that saves. And that is the answer to that question is that baptism is still necessary. And the last one that I'm going to point to is the concept of, of rebaptism. And this is one, again, the, all of these things that we're looking at are some things that can be very personal, and they can be personal uh, uh, to, to the people we're teaching, and they can be personal to us. You might come across with, with some different situations where someone says, well, I was too young when I was baptized. Either I didn't know much then, or I don't really remember some of the aspects of that. Uh, they might say, well, I was, I was baptized at you know, camp. Everyone else was doing it. Or I was baptized, and I, I followed God, but then I, I went off to college, and I just really went off the deep end, and I engaged in all sorts of, 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 of terrible things, and, and so I think I should be rebaptized. And the only time that something similarly like rebaptism occurs is in, in Acts chapter 19, when Paul is teaching in Ephesus. And it happened that while Apollos was at Corinth, Paul passed through the inland country and came to Ephesus. There he found some disciples, and he said to them, Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believed? And they said, No, we've not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. And he said, into what were you baptized? And they said, into John's baptism. And Paul said, John baptized with baptism of repentance, telling the people to believe in the one who was to come after him, that is Jesus. 
On hearing this, they were baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. This kind of seems like a, a rebaptism. But I, I use that term rebaptism, but ultimately what they were baptized into before was not the one baptism. It was baptized into repentance, which was something that was not that uncommon for Jews. They had ritual baptism, ritual immersions and washings where they would baptize uh, in a number of ways. Those things were not the one baptism. So Acts chapter 19 doesn't necessarily apply to this because he says they were baptized into the baptism of John. Okay, the question here that we've asked and we're going to keep asking is, were you baptized into the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit for the remission of your sins? Did you understand that you were a sinner who needed salvation? Did you know that Christ was the Son of God? Those are the questions. And so that's, were you, were you baptized? Well, I was only eight. You know, I did not know much at that time. So you would, you would ask those questions. I know so much more now than I knew then. Good. <laughs> you know, I, I, ho I hope you do. Um, I know so much more than I was when I was baptized. Um, I hope we all do. That doesn't negate that you are baptized properly if you can answer yes to those questions. Well, I didn't do great. I was supposed to start a new life, and I just really didn't do a good job of that at all. Okay. You know, you're not alone. Today's a new day, and we have a gift for that. First John chapter 1, verse 8 and 9 says that, that, uh, that he who thinks he is without sin deceives himself. But we have a gift where having been baptized, having received that great gift, we can be cleansed of all unrighteousness. The verses say, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the biblical way to handle that. If someone says yes to I was baptized properly, but all these other things. But if you are not done with those things, then like I said, it's not a rebaptism. You were baptized, you were immersed, but you didn't do the things that you were supposed to do. You were simply put into water. You have not been baptized the way that you ought to, so you should be. And I would say that if one is full of doubt, you know, if, if you really cannot put your finger on if you were baptized and why and how and the what of it, let's get in the water. Because right now, do you know that Jesus is the Son of God, that you are a sinner who needs forgiveness? Do you accept that he died for you? Are you willing to be immersed in the water Put that old man to death, to share in his burial, and to rise up and walk in newness of life. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Great. You understand that now. Let's be, let's be confident of that. Because there's, um, but let's not, let's not invalidate something that was real because of doubt. But if, if, if it is strong enough, then let's, let's just make sure that we are right with God. And that's something that we want to do every day is, is making sure that we are right with God, making sure that we are living as, as purely and as good as we can so that we can shine into this world and so that we can help others know the gifts that God has given because we are the carriers of this gospel. We are the ones who went to, to bring others to him. And so I would uh, turn our minds to um, uh, our invitation and this is the, the summary of the lesson, and I've, I've put the little slips out there in the front. Again, if anybody wants to put those in their Bible to use as a, uh, a tool to have in your belt. 
And it says simple summary. Some of these have gotten more or less simple, but again, that was the goal that we at least aim at. And so I'd ask you, brothers and sisters, if, if you're struggling with sin, if you have not lived the way that you have meant to be, if baptism hasn't made, uh, if you're not continuing to live in the newness of life the way that you ought to, then we'd ask that you as brothers and sisters confess your sins to God as he described. Come and ask for help from your brothers and sisters. We'd love to give it to you. We'd love to encourage you. We'd love to walk along with you and to, to hold your hand and lift you up. And if you are one who has not received that gift, that gift of salvation, then we would like to tell you all about it and give you that great gift that God has provided but we can help lead you to. Uh, if you'd like to take advantage of either one of those, then come forward now while we stand and sing the song.